Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Really excited today to be joined by Sean Michael Morris, who is the Vice President of Academics for a company called Course Hero. He's someone I've been tracking for a while. He has a bit of a following and he's got some interesting ideas. We're going to be talking about AI and how higher ed is trying to grapple with some of this and ways in which Course Hero and Sean are trying to help folks navigate all of this. Sean, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks so much, Mike. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. We always like to begin by getting to know our guests in their own words, sharing with us their origin story. Can you let us know a little bit about yourself, how you got to this point in your professional life? It's funny when you say origin story, the first thing I think of, of course, is a superhero. I don't have that kind of origin story, unfortunately, but that's what they all say. Yeah. So I actually, I've been in education for about 21, 22 years. I, I started out as grad student teaching. I was given a, a section to teach in a creative writing program at CU Boulder. And the first day I walked in, I had been told, you know, you're here to write. Like you're here in this program. You're supposed to be writing. Don't worry about the teaching side. I walked in and I saw 18 people in my classroom who all needed a good teacher. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I have to focus on teaching. If I'm going to be teaching, I have to focus on teaching. Mm -hmm. What I found in working through that graduate program, and then later I went directly into online teaching following my grad program. And what I found was that teachers needed teachers. Mm. That so many, especially in higher ed, teachers weren't really prepared to teach in any way. And so students were kind of getting the short shrift on that. Yeah. But also teachers were getting the short shift. Honestly, like they walk into a classroom, they don't know what they're doing. That's not a good way to have a job. Right. So what I started doing almost immediately was really focusing on faculty development in, in so many ways. Now I didn't call it faculty development. It really was just, can I help you? Can I support you in your teaching? Can we talk about what teaching means, especially in a digital context? Because like mm -hmm. I said, I went straight into online teaching from grad school. And this was when online teaching was still relatively new. Yeah. Uh, and everything was being done in learning management systems that I don't think exist anymore. And so I, I started off with that, really doing faculty development with the faculty who worked for me, and then branched into starting a journal with my best friend and colleague, Jesse Stommel, the journal Hybrid Pedagogy. And then we, that branched into then Digital Pedagogy Lab, which was a, an annual event that we ran every year for a global audience of educators who were all sort of struggling with what does it mean to do digital teaching? Yeah. And this didn't mean just online learning, right? This meant dealing with digital technology, dealing with digital platforms, dealing with the fact that suddenly students had phones in their pockets, everyone was digital in some way, all the world had become hybrid. How do we deal with this? So that was really the, the thrust of my career for about 20 years. Yeah. And then in January, 2022, I moved over to Course Hero from there. Right. And it's interesting if you think about that history where I'm always surprised by how little attention is paid to teaching within higher ed to begin with. And then if you add to that, how much less attention is paid to teaching online, you know, up until maybe 2020 when, you know, yeah. cold splash of water on the face, you know, the pandemic hits, suddenly everybody's waking up to these online media. Then we've been through a, a few turns of the crank in terms of online teaching, a little bit of a backlash. In fact, now I'd say within higher ed, where there's more of a push to get back on campus, you know, butts back in seats and get back to traditional, you know, shoulder to shoulder stuff. That all was going on. You moved to Course Hero. We're going to want to hear more about that as well. But then there's also this other phenomenon that has been, I can't believe it's less than a year since ChatGPT came out. But then there's this other 
real wild card transformative technology that's been dropped into the mix, which is generative AI. Can you share with us a little bit what you're doing with Course Hero and then how that's connecting with this new wave of technology that's really shaking up the world of higher education, online learning, all of these things? Sure. So at Course Hero, I lead a small but mighty group of folks who reach out to educators. Our work is really to engage with educators to help them understand teaching with technology. That's mm -hmm. really what our goal is. And we do that through, you know, through some content. We've got a really good blog. We've got a good newsletter. We do events. We have an education summit that we do every year. Mm -hmm. And just this last year, we started doing some more professional learning. This started with webinars. And we run our webinars from sort of more of a community-based platform. We don't want like a talking head, basically. My entire pedagogy is against the whole idea of a talking head. She's always interesting that I find myself on the podcast, right? And then we've also moved into some professional learning that's a little bit longer term. So three weeks, four weeks, five weeks of classes that really focus in on specific areas of teaching. Mm -hmm. One that we're launching next week, actually, is called AI Academy. And so that brings us back around to this question about Gen AI. And the AI Academy is designed to not be a place where people just get answers, right? Where they just listen to someone who's an expert who says, here's how to do it. It is, in fact, community-driven, inquiry-based kind of course where we will get answers from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, practice through experimentation, through asking questions, through debate, through trying things out and figuring all that out. And it's being done asynchronously. We've got some really good guest speakers who will be synchronous, that sort of thing. But primarily what we're really looking at here is how can teachers learn from teachers? We're trying to facilitate that kind of experience for them. Yeah, I do find that that is part of the problem is that, you know, the whole notion of a community of practice frequently doesn't exist when it comes to teaching. Like they're out there, you know, within the, you know, fact dev or, you know, professional development, learning and development. There are pockets where people who are really building a career around thinking about what really makes a difference in terms of teaching, but frequently they're not talking to each other. And in particular, when you're first assigned that section, just like you were, it can be a very frightening and lonely experience where you're just out there and you're looking for support. Add to that the complexity of the last three or four years, and then add to that this little something called ChatGPT. What have your experiences been like as someone who's been thinking about online learning, thinking about emerging technology pretty much your whole career, and then this new thing happens? How have you been ramping up? What has your experience been like with this new technology? And then how is that feeding into the work you're doing with Course Hero? It's funny because people keep talking about ChatGPT in education and they compare it to like a calculator and the calculator, the, the advent of the calculator in the math classes. Yep. I think of it more in terms of, and this may not seem really linear, but I think of it more in terms of when all of a sudden in 2012, the year of the MOOC, right? The massive online line course. Hmm. And when I saw that happen and when, you know, people in my community saw that happen, the thing that we were thinking about was not, oh my gosh, now we can do massive online learning. It was, this is a moment when we can think about what teaching and learning means. Hmm. And so we can use the MOOC as a way to sort of propel us into that thinking and that, that reflection. I think of the same thing with regards to Gen AI. So for me, it's this sudden technological shift, which really honestly was a little bit of a jump the shark moment for most of us. None of us saw it coming. We were like, oh my gosh, suddenly this, even though, you know, it's been in the background working on its, uh, on the way out, but yeah, 
And I see this as a moment when we can really think about what it means to teach and what it means to learn, what it means to express, what it means to write. Hmm. You know, my emphasis is I have a degree in creative writing. I, I come from a humanities background. So my emphasis is really on the humanities and on the writing side of things. Yeah. But I feel like this is the first time I've seen an innovation, a technological innovation where I think, okay, this could actually throw things quite right. a bit. Right. Uh, and let's, let's take them on. I haven't been outspoken about it. I haven't like run out there and started talking about it, about AI because I think, okay, I need to sit back and I need to think about this and feel like what is going to happen. Now I'm also in a privileged position. I'm not currently teaching a class. You know, teachers have to like shift quickly because students are starting to use this and they have to figure out what does that mean? Right. They do think there's a need to take this moment and say, okay, how can we reflect on what it means to teach, to learn, to think, to be human? Mm. Uh, these are all really important questions. These are the sorts of questions actually that we'll be asking in AI Academy and that we've been talking about even internally with my own team talking about, well, should we use AI in our, like in our daily work? Like, right. And so they've been really interesting conversations about how it impacts how we are creative human beings, I think. Yeah. And that's really one of the real awakenings, I think, was we all had this notional understanding of automation and AI taking truckers jobs, you know, right. or removing some factory gigs, maybe, you know, as automated, we'd already seen it in the industrial space where there are fewer people are able to do more things due to the advent of machinery, natural progression there. Yeah, that'll probably happen with AI and automation. And then creatives, you know, information workers, we tended to think, but we're still on the cutting edge of human and no one's really going to catch up to us. Right. As a creative writer, I imagine, you know, somebody who's taught creative writing and has thought about how do you teach writing and how do you write well, this must have hit pretty close to home. You know, I've heard, I think it was Eric Schmidt who was saying it's as big an existential awakening as we've seen since the Enlightenment, which is a pretty deep thing, but it is making us think, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be creative? What does it mean to write? You know, we can get into some of the more details about what the AI Academy is doing, but more at a high level, I'd be curious as a thinker and a writer and someone who's been sort of in this space for a while, how are you assimilating all this? Interesting little story. I'm just not sure in here. I actually, I was playing around with ChatGPT the other day, which something people do now. What can it do? And I said, oh, here's a prompt, right? a paragraph about critical digital pedagogy, which is a field of pedagogy that my friend Jesse and I sort of founded. Yeah. Uh, write a paragraph about critical digital pedagogy in the voice of Sean Mike Morris. Mm -hmm. See if it could do it. There's so much of my writing out on the line that they, certainly it could pick something up. You've been around since before September of 2021, clearly. Right. It did a terrible job. It didn't sound like me at all. It did a pretty good job defining critical digital pedagogy. And then every now and then it would just throw in literally, in like a parenthetic, in the voice of Sean Michael Morris. Literally those words. And I was like, okay, this is not intelligence. We are not talking about intelligence here. We're yeah. talking about something that's mimetic of intelligence, but it's not actually intelligence. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important for people to recognize. This is not AI in the way that we think about AI taking over the world kind of thing. Like it is still a reactive technology that is simply responding to the input that it's been given is still a binary yes or no, I'm doing this kind of technology. And so when we talk about AI, I think that, you know, the idea of it being, you know, the, the biggest awakening since the Enlightenment, maybe, sure, but also we need to be really careful about how we're parsing the hype. 
even by calling it AI, we automatically increase its importance, mm -hmm. right? Because, because we think, oh, it's artificial intelligence. It's as intelligent as I am. It's not. Right. Right. It absolutely is not. And what the, I think the biggest threat at the moment is that we will let it be, which goes back to something that my a colleague, Kathy Davidson, who's in New York, said at one point, I'm going to misquote her, but as long as if a computer can replace a teacher, it should. Mm. Because essentially then the teacher is not doing what a teacher can do. Mm. That's where I think that the really lovely friction that Gen AI is bringing forward is it, that's where it's generative. That's mm. where the actual generation takes place is, okay, it looks like it could do this stuff for me. Well, but what do I do that's different from what it can do? And that's the important conversation to be having. What is it about me that does something it can't do? Right. Um, that it probably will never be able to do. And I think that's where we need to be having the conversations. And ultimately, I mean, I'm hoping that AI Academy gets into those, that level of conversation. But right now, a lot of what we're trying to do is really to support teachers in this moment of like alarm and yes. uncertainty. They need that support. Like they need to understand like, okay, it's okay that I'm feeling this way. And it's okay because there's a whole community of people who want to learn this stuff too. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm hoping happens. But I'm also really, it'd be lovely if we got into those much bigger, sort of more existential questions, existential, but also really about what is the nature of human expression and, and, right. and creativity. Because mm. to me, teaching is a creative act and has to be. And generative AI, and I put air quotes around that, generative AI is not in fact generative of anything. It's not creative. It does not create something. It puts together things, but it doesn't create something that mm. wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah. And then the course that you're describing, you know, who is it designed for? Like who should be seeking out these kinds of resources and how might they find them? It's designed for faculty, instructional designers, administrators, anyone in higher ed who have questions about how Gen AI should fit into education. We were offering, there's a, a, a small like reading list of resources that I've been trying to keep updated as new stuff breaks. So we're trying to keep it as, as updated as possible. And then we're also providing, Coursero is also creating some content around this as well. So we've got a few little eBooks around AI. We just had a webinar on AI and trying to provide those resources then to, to these faculty. But the most important resources that are going to come out of this are the things that the faculty themselves, the teachers, the participants in it actually create. Yeah. Now, to me, that's the most important piece here. There's tons of resources out there, obviously. And people are starting to offer workshops and they're starting to offer, you know, education and training on Gen AI. I think that what we're doing is a little bit unique and that we're wanting this to be something that the community creates together mm -hmm. as opposed to something that we're saying, okay, we've decided what the curriculum is and here, here now just being delivered this stuff. Um, right. And then how do you identify who an expert is in the Gen AI space nowadays? Because it is so new, like the paint's literally drying on, you know, GPT 3.5 and then four is suddenly out and then Anthropic releases Claude and Bard is coming into the mix. And it just seems like you need a Gen AI just to keep up with all that's happening in Gen AI. But how do you figure out or how does how do any of us figure out, you know, who are the experts and, and how do you find the signal in the noise amidst all the hubbub? So I have a, a couple of answers to that. First of all, I have a guiding principle, and that is that pedagogy should be progressive. It should put people forward, and it should also be one that helps bring students and teachers together. So I have a philosophy that we need to trust students, we need to trust teachers, that this should be part of how pedagogy happens. So that's a guiding principle. So anybody that I bring in to speak 
has to align to that principle. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, the experts I'm interested in are the people who are in classrooms. Mm. I think too often the media is paying attention to all the big names, right? They're, they're paying attention to Sam Altman, they're paying attention to Sal Cott, they're paying attention to all these folks who are creating the tools right. and marketing the tools. But those aren't the experts in Gen AI. The experts are the people who are in classrooms with students dealing with this. Mm. And so I want teachers to speak to teachers. Mm -hmm. So our guest speakers are actually educators with two exceptions. We have a student speaking actually on the last week of AI Academy, we have a student talking about how students are actually using AI mm -hmm. to educate educators about that. And in the first week, we're actually kicking off with Edward Tien from GPT zero mm -hmm. uh, because Edward and I have had a lot of conversations about the role of like AI detection, yeah. uh, what that means. And I feel like he and I are kind of in sync. Yeah. And that's maybe a, an interesting place to go next. And it's not quite the stages of mourning and grief, but there is a, a natural fear reaction and maybe some anger. So a lot of negative emotion has been stirred up by the advent of some of this technology. And some of that fear is that students are going to cheat. Students are going to work around the system. Students are going to undermine our writing assignments and all heck's going to break loose. I'm sure this is something you've grappled with. And it sounds like, you know, if you're talking about AI detectors, it's certainly something I imagine you have some thoughts about, but I'd love to hear some of your thinking around the right way to go about this. And, and maybe at the same time, it was critical digital pedagogy. I don't know if I've had someone who has created a form of pedagogy on the show as well. So maybe spend a moment or two on that, and then we could get into how to get critical about using some of these tools, thinking about AI detection and some of these other things. But I don't want to miss that. I'm sure my listeners are like, what's what? up with that? That sounded kind of interesting. Can you share a little more about that? So my colleague, Jesse Stommel, again, and I, back in the day, back in 2012, really were working around a theory of critical digital pedagogy. And the idea comes out of the work of Paulo Freire and Bell Hooks in critical pedagogy. So this is very much about empowering students to sort of understand their own agency in the world, essentially, but starting with classwork, right? Because that's where teachers and students connect. So critical digital pedagogy looks at that from a digital perspective. What does it mean when the digital inter intervenes, when all of a sudden we have digital technology inflecting everything we're doing mm -hmm. um, in teaching and learning? So with critical digital pedagogy, then what, what we're really looking at is how do we sort of raise an eyebrow? at all digital technology. That doesn't mean take it down. That doesn't mean like, you know, it just means what is it? What is it yeah. doing? What are the baked in pedagogies behind a platform or a service? What does it believe about education? What does it believe about the relationship between teachers and students? Mm -hmm. And then empowering teachers in this case, because I was doing most professional development with teachers, empowering teachers in that case to sort of understand how that digital technology was imposing upon their teaching. Does its baked in pedagogy align with your pedagogy and what you want to do? Mm. You don't have to do it this way. Like you can, you can put back against it if you mm. need to, you can, mm. can hack it if you want to, you can, you know, figure out ways. So it was very much about sort of empowering teachers and students to take control of their education. Mm -hmm. And then I imagine that framework applies when it comes to new technology like generative AI. And then if you're thinking about writing assignments, which is what a lot of us have been thinking about since this stuff has been hitting the, the scene. You know, I have to nod to Marshall McLuhan. I try to drop his name periodically, but just understanding how influential the 
media formats are, pretty much everything you're describing here. I imagine that's very much the case now when we think about writing assignments, when we think about trying to teach students how to write, and then when we also think about having to monitor, detect, police their activity when new technologies may really be upsetting the status quo. So to speak directly to the writing point, I, I think that a lot of folks, and there are a lot of teachers out there who are embracing this in a really creative way. So when I looked at this and I thought about myself as a writing teacher, and I looked at ChatGPT, for example, I saw, I told everybody at work, I, I said, if I was still teaching, I would immediately introduce this tool to my students because the thing that I need to do is help them recognize what's different between what they can write and what it can write. Hmm. And of course, I was a creative writer. I was in humanities, right? But even as a research paper, when I used to teach research papers, I used to ask students, okay, what's your idea? What do you want to research? Now write everything you know about it. And don't look at any resources. Don't go do any research. Write everything you know about it. Write your opinions. Write your thoughts. Because that's where research starts. And then you go and you find either corroboration or you find people who think differently and you incorporate that. The thing that, that did then was convince them of their own voice, mm. of their own sort of authorship and their own authority, as opposed to going and looking for experts first, which as soon as you go look at experts first, you immediately start to plagiarize, right? Because you were like, oh, well, I did I have my own ideas. Mm. ChatGPT is similarly short. It can write for you. And if it can, it should. Right? Just like if a computer mm. replaces a teacher, it should. Mm. If ChatGPT can write for you, go ahead, let it. But the truth is, is that you're selling yourself short if you let it do that, mm. because it will always be a robot. Mm. Robots are not human. And what we can do is think of new ideas. What happens to us when we write is we think as we're writing, right? Mm. We discover as we write. It doesn't discover anything. It's not thinking about that. It's not reflecting on anything. It doesn't have dreams of electric sheep. These things need to be separated out. And those conversations need to be had in classrooms so that students understand this is a tool. Absolutely. Go use the tool to your heart's content. Mm. Recognize where it's a tool and where you are not. Well, yeah. And your point about agency, I think, is an important one with some of these new technologies, because maybe we can get into you know some of the risks and opportunities. One of the risks that I see is ceding too much human agency to these tools seeding some of that criticality that you're talking about and just saying, I'm just going to, you know, feed the machine, the machine will feed me back, bada bing, bada boom, transactions done and my life's better. I move on where, you know, there's a critical absence of learning in that context. And there's perhaps an absence of human autonomy, human agency, which is part of why I think we do get existential about some of this stuff where the wrong mindsets can really fall prey to a lot of traps. Can we talk a little, you know, risks and opportunities, maybe to opportunities next, but what, what are some of the risks? What are some of the things that, that keep you up at night? I'll be honest, actually, not much about this keeps me up at night. I have a lot of faith in people handling this the right way. When you think about risks, I think about, again, maybe not linear. I think we're bread machines. Okay, so everyone's thinking, oh my gosh, ChatGPT, AI is going to change education. People aren't going to think anymore. They're not going to be critical anymore. They're not going to do their own work. Bread machines didn't change culinary schools, right? People kept making bread mm -hmm. because people like to make bread and it's something human. And I think that people continue to want to express themselves. They want to continue to figure out and problem solve. Yeah. We are creating the right environments in education where that is valued, where that sort of process of 
thinking through things and making mistakes and thinking on your own and coming up with your own ideas. I remember I wrote a, an essay in high school. I'm not going to say what it's about because that would just distract. But I wrote an essay in high school that was, for me, as a high school student, really original thinking. And when I presented it to my teachers, they were like, you don't have to come up with a new idea. Mm. You just have to report like what, you just have to do research. Mm. My idea was so like, to them, offensive that I ended up getting thrown out of class permanently. I was like, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm not in this class anymore. And I think about that with regards to higher ed. Are we making spaces where students can explore, think about their own ideas and create new things? So much of science and mathematics, and, and I've heard this back and forth, right? I've had arguments with STEM teachers a lot about critical digital pedagogy because they're like, their, their response is, well, but there are just facts that students need to know. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with facts at all, but there is something wrong with facts as the end of knowledge. Hmm. Facts should be the building blocks for something new. That's how science happened, right? Physics is the landscape of a dreamer. Like it is something that requires that imagination. Right. And this is something ChatGPT cannot do. So if ChatGPT can do your schoolwork, let it do the schoolwork because then your schoolwork is wrong. Right. And what needs to happen then is we need to be inspecting, what are we doing in higher ed? What are we doing to keep this being a generative space mm -hmm. and not hand over that to AI? Yeah. So where do you see this heading? Because I would agree with you, like one of the arguments that resonates with me that's out there nowadays is that these tools are exposing what might've been wrong in how we assess writing or how we assess learning or how we assess what our students are really able to do on their own or, or how they're actually able to make breakthroughs in terms of their thinking. Any thoughts on how this may evolve? You know, it does feel like it's been a wake up call, whether it's an existential crisis or not, and how much we're spun up about it may vary depending on the individual, but it does seem like a wake up call, a clarion call of some kind to higher ed, to teachers out there. Where do you see it going? What's some potential outcomes for where this technology is taking us? What I'm hoping is that the technology can be used. I often look at technology and I know that I'll work for a tech company, but I look at technology as a kind of agonist, not an antagonist, but an agonist, something that makes movement happen mm. and that kind of spurs you into action in some mm. kind of way. I feel like this, the evolution of Gen AI and the creation of Gen AI, I actually don't really want to talk about it evolving because I think it sounds too many living attributes to it. Yeah, Jim Cameron gets involved and, and it all goes, it'll go sideways. But I think that the sort of creation of AI, the, the development of AI should in fact give us that sort of frictive moment to think about what it means to be human. And so when I think about where this is taking us, I don't know where the technology is going to go, but I do know that, that, you know, so many people will focus on the skills, right? I know that there's, there's people who are, who are saying, oh, we need to make sure our students learn this stuff. They need to learn how to use ChatGPT. They need to learn how to, because they're going to need it in their workplace. Right. And I want to say, okay, it's not been even a year. Imagine four years right. of education and you don't know what skills are going to need. ChatGPT will not be ChatGPT by the time right. they graduate college. So what we need to do instead is be teaching them about the relationship between technology and human beings and what the difference is and who has control. We still are in control here. It is still just a tool. And so I think that's, there's a lot of potential in that conversation and in that sort of friction between those two things. And I hope that people will start to bring that into classrooms rather than just trying to catch students out and mm -hmm. using it, right? Um, bring in the discussion 
what is this? How do we use it? What does it tell us about us? What does it tell us about mathematics? From what I understand, it's getting worse at math. But, you know, what does it say if I can let it do the mathematics? then what am I doing in mathematics? Like, what is, why is mathematics a human endeavor? Right. And the same thing, of course, for anything in the humanities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm talking with Sean Michael Morris, who is the VP of academics for Course Hero. We're talking about Gen AI and how the AI Academy is now launching. If folks want to learn more about the AI Academy, where should they go? They can go to coursehero.com slash AI academy. Yeah. So, the AI Academy currently is closed, but we are going to be offering it again in the spring. So we do have a pre-registration list going for people who are interested in taking it. Yeah. And you did mention, you know, 2012 is the year of the MOOC. And in a lot of ways, MOOCs were an interesting cautionary tale in terms of a hype cycle where everyone thought everything was going to change in 2012. And then years went by and it was kind of like, okay, yeah, MOOCs are out there, but life kind of goes on. Is that a useful thing for us to pay attention to when we think about what may be coming next you know I've, we just did a show recently on the Gartner hype cycle where a lot of generative ai was about to dip from the peak of inflated expectations into the trough of disillusionment i've heard folks talk about the potential of a backlash a bit of an ai winter starting to happen where folks expect more than maybe we can get because the hype cycle's been so strong Thoughts on all this? Where is it going to land? You know, this is where we're getting into the bold prediction part of the conversation. Is it overhyped? Is it underhyped? What, what do you see on the horizon? So I would say that hype cycles are always wrong. They're always based on, you know, just trying to get as much momentum on something, whether that's for, you know, hits on a, on a website or, you know, investments, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But hype cycles are always wrong. So we don't necessarily need to pay attention to that being a thing in this case. But I do think that AI is, is a technology that does change things for us as people and that as it begins to change and as I think it was Ethan Mollick, who I'm going to misquote him here, who said something along the lines of this is as dumb as this technology will ever be. Mm. It's just going to get smarter and we do need to be aware of that. They're not going to stop working on it. It's going to continue to influence us. We're not suddenly going to stop using the internet. Like these things did happen and it has changed culture. This is a culture changer. From what I see, again, though, I think that we need to never forget that human beings are the ones running history. And so we have the opportunity to intervene in this moment and, you know, claim ownership over all of this because it isn't something that's being done to us. Mm -hmm. it does feel that way because it, like I said, you know, Jen AI just kind of jumped the shark and suddenly was in everyone's room, everyone's everything. And I think we can, in that moment, take some ownership and recognize, no, no, we, we can use this. It's a tool. We still remember who we are as human beings. If there was ever a time for humanities education, now because we really do need to be having these conversations. I don't know where it will go. I knew where MOOCs would go. And if it would fizzle, they'd just become like a part of the landscape and no big deal. And I also knew, you know, before I was asked a lot when COVID hit, like, will this change education forever? And I was like, no, people will rubber band back wanting to be in classrooms after this is over yeah and that's exactly what happened but what i see here is something that is now part of the landscape that's going to continue to grow and change in the way that it's used and in what's available i want people to stop thinking about it as something that they can use as a substitute for themselves i want people to start thinking about it as a tool they can use on the side of the desk that helps them with certain things but is never a substitute for themselves mm. or if teachers for example and i have you know, I only supported teachers for 20 years. Like that's been my whole work. 
but I've heard of teachers, you know, using us to like write emails to parents or, or write letters of recommendation. And I get it. Those are a drag. They're hard to write. But at the same time, in that moment of sitting down to write about a student, you connect again with that student. Mm. You have to take the time to do that. Like if that's something that Jenny, I can do, or if it can help you fine, but let's just not forget, like there's a reason why we want to connect as human beings in a classroom. Mm. Don't let the technology, I always talk about uh, online learning, the need to teach through the screen. Mm. This is very, it's very similar. Teach through this tool. Mm. Uh, don't teach to it. Don't teach against it, but teach through this tool. Fascinating stuff here with Sean Michael Morris, VP of Academics for Course Hero. We're about to wrap up here, Sean. We've covered a lot. Uh, clearly, folks know where to go. If they want to learn more, they can check out the AI Academy that Course Hero has going. Folks can still follow you. If, if folks want to see more of what you're putting out in the world, where should they go? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. No longer on Twitter slash X. Yeah. I'm no longer there, but I am on LinkedIn. You can also take a look at my blog at SeanMichaelMorris.com. SeanMichaelMorris.com. And then as folks head back to the rest of their lives, I know you're someone who was speaking to teachers earlier and thinking about them and, and their lives. Any closing thoughts for our listeners, whether they're teachers or they know teachers or they're thinking about the future of learning, the future of education, parting thoughts, takeaways from today's conversation as we wrap up? I would really just say what I've always said throughout my whole career, and that is like, just keep the human in the loop with all of this and trust students, talk to students, work with students, and don't let this technology dictate what you do in your classroom. Wise words from Sean Michael Morris. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>